This is the Education Gadfly Show. You know, I'm working on getting Beyonce to join our campaign. That was <laughs> suggested to us about six months ago. What does Gadfly say? Hello, this is your host, Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute. Here at the Education Gadfly Show and online at edexcellence.net. And now, please join me in welcoming my hosts, the Denzel Washington and Viola Davis of Education Reform, Dakari Ahrens and Alyssa Schwenk. Woo! That was and a lot I- to say without any breath. Actually. You got through it admirably. Woo. Okay. Dakari is the vice president of strategic communications for the data quality campaign. Dakari, you have one of the hardest jobs in education reform. You know why? Why? Well, I mean, you, you could tell me why, but I was going to say because you have to make data interesting. It's true. It, and, and how do you do that? Is, is there, do you have a special trick for that? You know, I'm working on getting Beyonce to join our campaign. That was <laughs> suggested to us about six months ago. I like but that. I, but I think when you, talk about information instead of data. Most yeah. people get it. They want information mm-hmm. about their kids. They want to know what's happening mm-hmm. and how they can help kids. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. I like that you, you're rebranding. So really you need to be the information quality campaign. Mm-hmm. Whatever what it else? takes. Or, or the, I mean, you, surely, you know, there's something here around what, what people are saying with fake news or alternative facts. I mean, maybe like you could be the not alternative facts campaign. Yes, we, we prefer real facts. <laughs> Wait, so well, and, and as someone who used to be a journalist, I, I would say, say so, that there's no such thing as fake news. It's either the yeah. truth or it's a lie. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, it's yeah. news or it's not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What I do love about the work that you guys do, though, is, uh, and you just kind of did it right there, is you always bring it back to kids. And it's so grounded in, like, yeah. what's working for kids and making sure that we have info mm-hmm. about kids out there. Love right. it. I yeah. love it. The love point it. isn't systems or policies. Right. It's about people. So, so no, well, we hey, you guys do do great work. You do sometimes get in the news when it's uh, things are controversial, which is usually when something has gone awry, uh, like concerns about kids' privacy being absolutely, uh, you know, not treated well, or worries about hacks and, and all the like. But done a ton of good work making sure that states, especially, are building really good data systems and that parents are getting good information about how their kids are performing, their schools are performing. Before this, though, you had another life, and it was as a journalist. You were a reporter at Education Week. Uh, and you've also had stuff in the Post, Miami Herald. And we are glad about that journalism background because we're going to talk some about the media. All right. If you don't mind. Let's do that mm-hmm. in Ed Reform Update. So, Dakari, we would try to talk about something other than what's happening in Washington. But, we, you know, <laughs> we, we have tried at times over the last few weeks to talk about states and things like that. But come on, let's face it. Everybody seems obsessed with the Betsy DeVos mm-hmm. experience, extravaganza spectacle. Uh, we are taping this on Tuesday afternoon, and she has just been, what, what's the right word? I guess her nomination has been forwarded to the full, full Senate. Senate. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Cleared the House uh, Education Committee. That's a good way to say it. Uh, 12 to 11, a party line vote. Senators Collins and Murkowski uh, voting for her, but saying they might not vote for her. Mm-hmm. On the floor, which most of us think means, in other words, if they don't have to, they won't. Uh, then they won't. If they've got uh, fifty votes without them, then they'd love to take a pass. Yep. If they need their votes, I think they might play a little House of Cards hardball here and extract something from leadership. What do they want from Alaska or uh, for uh, Maine? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, certainly, uh, Senator Murkowski kept everyone on her seats. They kept being like, yeah. "What are you going to say? Um, yeah, yeah. Which way are you voting?" I think she wants that bridge to nowhere back. Smart strategy. Yeah, 
back, baby, back. So, uh, but Dakari, what I want to talk about is, uh, you know, how we've seen the media treat all of this. It is a difficult time to be a journalist right now with Donald Trump. It is Trump. a very challenging time to be a journalist. <sighs> yes. Uh, but even in our little corner of the world, uh, you know, around this, this controversy with DeVos, uh, you know, some people think that the media have not been playing it straight and that their liberal bias has been showing. I'm just curious, what, what's your take, uh, big picture, and then we'll go from there. So I've found this whole process to be fascinating because there are so many people in the country who, I mean, no one ever pays attention to the Senate confirmation hearing for education secretary, except for nerds like us in D.C. It affects our job. We actually know what the education secretary does. Mm -hmm. And so it's been fascinating and how little power also the secretary of education (laughs) actually has. So it's been really fascinating to watch all of these people all around the country really tune in and pay attention. I think. You know, we all thought after November 8th, the election would be over, but I feel like the campaign is continuing. Right. And mm-hmm. that people are continuing to be engaged at a level that they were, yeah. if not more so, during the but, presidential but ha- campaign. But are the journalists doing a good enough job trying to explain the limited role that the Secretary of Education has? I mean, you know, you got Chuck Schumer out there on the Democratic side saying that, you know, Betsy DeVos is going to single-handedly privatize American education. <laughs> well, even if she wanted to, she which couldn't. I don't think she <laughs> right. does, she couldn't, right? I, I think we could certainly see more stories that helps people understand what the Secretary of Education and what the department actually yeah. does. Um, I think there's been some thoughtful coverage of, you know, the various talking points that we've heard from those who are supporting mm-hmm. her, yeah. talking about her long three-decade career working on behalf of students, not in a traditional public school setting, but using right. her philanthropy mm-hmm. yeah. to help students yeah. across mm-hmm. the country. And then others who say that non-traditional background makes her unqualified. So there's been a lot on that. And I think what's also been different in trying to cover Betsy, when you think about the previous people who have been secretary of all of education, mm-hmm. almost all of them have had some sort of previous public job. They Most of them have been covered fairly extensively by the media already. Mm-hmm. There was a lot known mm-hmm. about these people. They were pretty well-known quantities. And so I think that has been one of the challenges in the coverage is figuring out, well, who exactly is this person who has not been part of these public bodies where you have <laughs> access already to their salary or mm-hmm. you didn't have these disclosures necessarily with people who already worked for a federal or state government. They weren't allowed to have some of yeah. these holdings that you're seeing with some of the mm-hmm. um, nominees, Betsy and others. Right. right. Yeah, right. no, And I certainly too think that there is, as Takari said, like everyone is suddenly paying attention to the DeVos hearing. Like it is extraordinary to me how my high school English teacher is as engaged in the middle of Iowa is as engaged mm-hmm. on this issue as my friends who I see on Facebook who are education wonks full time. Um, and I think that's kind of reflected in some degree to the coverage as well. You know, we have a lot of amazing journalists who cover education full time and like their coverage, they have this depth of knowledge, they know the role of the secretary of education, but then there's this broader base of journalists that is covering it. And they're not just covering the education secretary hearing, they're covering the broader challenges that this nomination and this hearing is bringing up, including like Dakari said, like, the role of this cabinet of people, most of whom have always had a lot, a lot of money. Yeah. So. All right. Well, let, let me let me offer some complaints I have. And you can complain away. I mean, first, I I do think that there's been some really bad reporting on Michigan. Mm-hmm. I think probably the New York Times is the guilty of of this. But to to make it sound like that, the evidence is is quite clear that the charter schools in Detroit somehow. Because does, it does seem like the policies are kind of a mess, but lo and behold, they still are outperforming the traditional public schools. Uh, and 
really pretty significantly. It, you know, fine to say that that's a low bar because the Detroit public schools are right. Nothing I would go singing but, home about. But, but that even that fact that that the charters outperform the district schools mm-hmm. on average has been called into question in the New York Times reporting. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's just kind of nuts. And there's been some great analysis of that on the reform side, just showing just bizarre decisions that they've made at the New York Times mm-hmm. to cherry pick studies or to ignore ones that that don't go with their uh, with their storyline. Uh, here's another one. You know, there was this big debate around uh, Betsy DeVos's non-ability to be able to talk about IDEA. Yeah. And yet I haven't really seen much uh, a real good explainer mm-hmm. that goes in depth and takes this opportunity to say, well, let, let's look at how this works. You know, it is a complicated area. It's one that mm-hmm. most of us ignore most of the time. But, you know, rather than That's just... True. right, But I, mean, I would also just, say the average news consumer in the country are not the people like us in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. You know, all three of us yeah. sitting here know people who wrote IDEA, right? Mm-hmm. So we're not the audience yeah. for no, but, the but, news But, but, the but news so coverage. explain to people to say, well, look, she was wrong to think that there was no federal role in enforcement. However... It is certainly the case that that still, like everything else in education, states do have an important role and local mm-hmm. districts. Point out that it play, you know, that some states, for example, 20% of kids are identified as uh, needing an IEP and other states is only 10%. Mm-hmm. You know, clearly this is something that plays out very differently across yeah. different states. And let's do an article on that. I mean, I think that that could have been. And I think you'll see more of that sort of stuff from national publications yeah. or publications that are yeah. education-only outlets. Maybe. When you think about general interest publications, right. uh, mm-hmm. fine, you'll get fine. you'll get some mm-hmm. surface-level coverage of that. I agree there could be more. And another place where I was yeah. hoping that I would see more coverage in general interest outlets is something that you mentioned earlier. Yeah, There were a lot of stories that said, okay, she supports charter schools and vouchers. Well, the majority of people in this country have never seen a charter school. Yeah. They don't know anyone who yeah. goes to a charter school. Though they do they tell pollsters that they support them. They do. Right. They tell pollsters they support charter schools but they don't necessarily understand what charter schools are. And so I think there was an opportunity um, to see more of that in some coverage. We did see it in some Mm -hmm. of the news coverage, but I was hoping to see a little bit more explaining to most Americans who do not have any form of school choice, not just charters and vouchers, but also magnet and other specialty Mm -hmm. programs. What, what exactly we meant by that. All right. Last, last complaint is I, don't feel like I've seen the national reporters do a good enough job explaining that this pushback, this massive pushback to her with the millions of people calling mm-hmm. has been largely orchestrated by the teachers unions. And that the reason that we see this with a Betsy DeVos and not with some of these other candidates is because this is the issue where you've got the unions and their huge memberships and their incentive in this case to rally the troops. I mean, you see again, Mike Antonucci explained this, but I haven't seen the other reporters go in there and at least dig into the question of how organic is this so, backlash mm-hmm. and how organized. So I push back on that. Part of it is certainly the unions. And of course, the teachers unions are larger than most of our other public sector unions mm-hmm. in yeah. the country. So they have a huge influence. Yes. But I think one, because people were so engaged, there were a lot more people actually watching the confirmation hearing than I would have expected. And the comment about grizzly bears yeah. in the context yes. of gun violence sure. was a viral moment yep. that I think made a lot of people pay attention where yeah. The story previously had been the broader issues that some people were raising around the cabinet being full of mm-hmm. people or their potential cabinet mm-hmm. being full of people who did not have government experience. Mm-hmm. Um, they were able to then pick off Betsy DeVos based on some of the comments mm-hmm. that she made during the testimony where people believed based on the clips they were seeing mm-hmm. that she but did yeah, not know about. Why yeah. am I not reading stories about the role the unions are playing in organizing this resistance, this backlash? I mean, it just... 
I mean, on the one hand, maybe they just people, they assume people know this, but we know this, but I don't know that people out there know this, that this is, that there are the unions, I suspect, are spending big bucks right now, you know, spending a lot of time and energy, you know, sending out notes to their members saying, call your senators, call, you know, in a way that if, uh, I don't know, I just suspect that if, if the NRA was doing something like this on an mm-hmm. issue. You would see reporting on it, mm-hmm. but in education, it yeah. just does, goes un, no. un, goes unremarked. I, right? No, I mean, so I actually I was thinking about this earlier today because I've just really taken over kind of my non-educator Facebook feed, mm-hmm. um, which I get as a very anecdotal sample. Um, I so a couple of things come to mind. Is first, even though the teachers' unions supported Hillary Clinton and came out very early in the race for Hillary Clinton. You look at the polling on their members, it was pretty split. There were a lot of Bernie Sanders supporters mm-hmm. among them. Sure. Uh, and so my suspicion is if you asked a teacher, you know, are you becoming engaged and activated around this issue because your union told you to or because you saw someone share that GIF or GIF, we still can't decide, of the grizzly bear moment, like that made you angry as a teacher. And I think mm-hmm. the answer, I think if you asked a teacher, there's, you know, different signals that you might get. Like their reason wouldn't be my union told me to wear red. It's I saw this. And as a public school teacher, right. this hurts me. Well, and maybe and that's true, but report on it. Right. Investigate. Right. Now, mind you, there's a lot of money being spent by a lot of people of all persuasions at yeah. the moment <laughs> around all of this. So there has been yep. a lot of yeah. coverage in general about there's a lot of money. There's a lot of activism. Right. Around the cabinet nominees at the moment. Mm-hmm. There probably could have been a bit more about the union, but I think to say that the unions are driving all of the energy that we've seen against Betsy would be to give them too much. They would perhaps like the credit, but it would yeah. be too much, too much credit. There certainly are a bunch of other left-leaning organizations that are involved. Yeah. And then, as I've heard from rank-and-file educators, a lot of them take the position, no matter who the president is, they want right. someone who has been a classroom teacher yeah. to be involved they had very similar criticism of arnie duncan having right. never taught in a classroom right and a lot of the things that were said about him were also being said around about betsy DeVos. he also supports charter schools and mm-hmm. so the initial wave of criticism that we saw from the unions was not different than a lot of what they said about john king and about arnie duncan mm-hmm. i'm trying to remember did have any education secretaries actually had like been in the classroom for several years experience. You know, we've had a ton. I, I think Rod Page did. Okay. I think he had a teaching back. Okay. Yeah. I knew he was a superintendent, but didn't know if he was a teacher yeah. first. Yeah. All right. I'm not going to convince you guys. Uh, so, uh, darn it. I guess I'm probably <laughs> not going to convince the reporters out there either, but I wish I could. I, you know, look, the, the, it's the a big story. The big story, the sort of historical story is, you know, what the reason ed reform has been successful recently, one of the reasons is that these big donors like Betsy DeVos were able to match the political donations of the teachers unions. Mm-hmm. You know, without mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, it would be hopeless. And it's in the same way that a few of them are starting to try to match the political donations of the NRA in, mm-hmm. on that issue, you know, that, uh, and, and that part of the story doesn't get told. You just hear about these billionaires and their influence in education without mm-hmm. explaining to people why they felt compelled. The mm-hmm. reason is there was this incredible imbalance. I, I do agree that the influence industry in education is an undercovered story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not just about the unions, All but right. about everyone else who's in the sector. <laughs> I, I yeah. really do. There's a lot of money being spent in the sector to influence. Yeah. I, mean, I work for an advocacy organization. Yep. So we certainly are part of, you know, trying yeah. to influence policymakers, uh, yeah. not at the same level, obviously, as the NEA. But, yeah. there, but I think it's an undercover story that affects a lot of what people see happening. 
All right. We are out of time, guys. Thank you for a great conversation. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Dakari. Thanks, Alyssa. It is now time for everyone's favorite Amber's Research Minute. So, Amber, uh, have you seen all the Oscar-nominated movies? I have not. I've heard La La Land is supposed to be something. But, you know, I saw Hidden Figures and I loved it. Was it Like great? many people, just inspirational. Mm-hmm. Just showed, you I know, what, um, you know, and, and I'd be curious what folks who are uh, into affirmative action would think. Because mm-hmm. these gals really got where they were by just being the best possible candidate and showing their, um, you know, their attributes and their abilities and their strong suits. And it was just inspiring for, for any American, I think that to watch that movie, to just see that by golly, we had some real trendsetters and and they made a big difference at NASA. And it was a story that needed to be told. It's a great story. I was crying by the end. In our family, we're just focused on the best animated film (laughs) race. Have you seen all of those? Uh, No, actually, we need to see the new Disney one. The Moana, is it? I don't know if it's Moana or Moana. But we've seen, but but it doesn't matter. Kubo and the Two Strings should win it by far. Ah, It's an incredible, incredible movie. You plugged that one last week. I know. I love it. I love it. All right. Speaking of loving it, what you got for us? Loving it. We got a new study that examines the role of high schools in explaining students' initial placement into college and into a college major. All right. So, in other words, does where you attended high school have much to do with where you attended college and the quality of the major that you pursue? Analysts study outcomes from six cohorts of full-time non-transfer students who entered a four-year public university in Missouri as college freshmen Mm -hmm. from a public high school. They look at the years 1996 to 2001. It's about 58,000 students. Okay. Okay. Uh, Students are tracked for eight years to determine their graduation outcome. They define majors. Now, this is where it gets a little interesting. They define majors as specific to each university, such that majors with the same classification code, because the DOE has all these classification Mm -hmm. codes for majors, Mm -hmm. right? Um, But they get coded as coming from different universities. Okay. So, in this way, they can devise a measure of academic quality for each major is based on the qualifications of students who complete a degree at that university. Okay. All right. So in other words, you can look at the, uh, and this is this again, like you got really got to wrap your head around this. The quality of majors by each university is based on the pre-college academic qualifications. Mm -hmm. So that's like the class percentile rank and the ACT score, right? right? Mm -hmm. Of the students who completed a degree in that major at that university. So how selective those majors are at a given university. That's right. But not how selective they are compared, like not like U.S. News rankings. Not like U.S. News rankings. So in other words, if you had two universities that differ in terms of their overall average selectivity, Mm-hmm. you could then determine if majors at less selective universities are of higher quality than some majors at more selective universities based on the attributes and the qualifications mm-hmm. of the kids mm-hmm. who take those, yeah. uh, who are in those majors. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, they don't just had to put this in for you, Mike. They don't use, they don't talk about growth. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the high school, they look at a measure of high school disadvantage. So it's a share free and reduced lunch kids. It's mm-hmm. the share of individuals over age 25 that um, don't have less than a bachelor's degree in the vicinity of that high school. Yep. All right. Findings. Like previous research, Hoxby and others, they find that students from lower socioeconomic high schools systematically enroll at lower quality universities relative to their similarly qualified peers from higher socioeconomic high schools. So kind of shows what we've known before. Mm. Their new addition to this is yet... High schools have very little to do with the quality of college major placements within universities. In other words, kids don't sort into higher or lower quality majors 
as a result of the high school they attended. Mm-hmm. All right. They also find that there is within university variation in the quality of majors, and this is not surprising, such that most math and science majors are higher quality. Okay, mm-hmm. remember how they're defining that. Mm-hmm. And many social science, general ed, and fine arts majors are lower quality. Mm-hmm. Go history majors. <laughs> Finally, the quality of the initial major. So in other words, what they initially declared when they came in as freshmen, it didn't matter whether they actually accepted. This is what they kind of want to do they declare okay um strongly predicts the quality of their final major at the same university so for example if you start out with a major uh comprised of students with lower academic qualifications Mm -hmm. you don't switch to one comprised of students with vastly higher academic qualifications Mm -hmm. in the course of your your career uh, at college and they make a point to say you know what that link is not causal though so you could actually if you altered how students selected were placed into that initial college major, if you could do that, and the factors that go into that selection, you could then alter the quality of the final major. So it's not like deterministic. Mm-hmm. So they're saying, you know what, this this could be something, if we if we kind of figure this out on the front end, it's not a fait accompli that you're going to be in this lower quality major of the entire, mm-hmm. you know, and end up with this job that doesn't pay as much and okay. all this other stuff. Um, so I think, I mean, to me, the bottom line is, you know, high schools do matter, you know, in some ways, particularly, you know, in terms of um, kind of how these, where these kids get initially placed university-wise, but not so much on the major part of things. Mm-hmm. Right. So that was a new, that was something we didn't know. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, we tend to see a lot of people trying to figure out whether high schools matter. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that there's less research when you start going down to elementary, middle school. Mm-hmm. Um but anyway, I thought yeah. it was a, it was an interesting mm-hmm. study. It's it's kind of hard to understand sort of how they, you know, define quality and all this stuff. Yeah. You really kind of got to dig in. And and it, it seems like it's a nice it pairs nicely with the new mm-hmm. Chetty study, which also mm-hmm. looks at individual mm-hmm. universities and both the percentage of poor kids that they serve, and then also how those poor kids do in terms of earnings. So maybe you can come back and talk about that one. Uh, uh, but look, it, it still shows that the elite colleges tend to serve very few low income kids, mm-hmm. and the question is why mm-hmm. uh, they say that they want to have more diversity socioeconomically, um, mm-hmm. you know, but what, what is that disconnect about? Right. Uh, why they, are they not recruiting hard enough? Are the kids skeptical that they can really afford it or, or mm-hmm. uh, you know, be accepted there? Right. Tough stuff. Mm-hmm. It is tough stuff, but hey, this is stuff that we need to be asking, you know, in terms mm-hmm. of, you know, we, we tend to think that the door stops at, at the end of high school, you know, and this mm-hmm. stuff literally doesn't matter after you, mm-hmm. you know, get out of high school. And, um, but these have real implications for kids as they mm-hmm. go on to college. So their training and preparation in K-12. So we need to do better. Yep, certainly. And there have been so many campaigns lately, or at least I've been noticing them about go into the STEM major if you want to be economically mobile. And it seems like kids are a little less motivated by that. It's kind of like they come out of high school and they like what they like or they're interested in what mm-hmm. they're interested already. That's right. I just want to know if political science counts as a science in, in this. <laughs> no, no, Mike, it does not. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I was I'm a history major. Okay. I'm going to go home and tell my husband, sadly enough, business administration is a low quality major. Come on. Is that like everybody's major if you don't know what you're going to major yes, in? Of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of course. And then you go into consulting after school. Yeah, of course. Uh, a well trod path. Yes. All uh, right. Thank you, Amber. That's all the time we've got for this week. Till next week. I'm Alyssa Schwenk. And I'm Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute signing. The Education Gadfly Show is a production of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute. 
located in Washington, D.C. For more information, visit us online at edexcellence.net.